You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Amen. So what beautiful weather we have, right? Oh, man, it's incredible. Take a second uh, just to close your eyes and thank God. Be really appreciative for this it's really nice weather right now. Right, come on, just take, take, it, take a second. Thank you, God. Oh, the gratitude fills your heart, doesn't it, for that? Just the sunshine and the warmth in February. And I remember this time of the year, uh, seven, eight years ago, it was my freshman year of college. And uh, we started, I was, I was a partier in college, all right? It's no, uh, it's no secret, uh, that's my, it's my past. But we were planning our spring break trip, first one ever of college, uh, to Monroe, Louisiana, of all places. <clears throat> we were broke, we couldn't afford Panama or whatever. So a couple of my buddies and me, uh, we decided to go to Monroe, uh, which is kind of like going to Springfield for, uh, for your spring break in college. It's not that great. There's not that much to do. But uh, looking ahead to the next six weeks we had before, this, uh, before the spring break would come, we were so excited. And uh, we would talk it up and we'd, we'd play it up in our heads and we, just, we were saving up money and uh, you know the drill. We're getting excited. We went to Monroe and uh, it was exactly what you would probably expect. In hindsight, it really was not that much fun. Uh, you know, we went and saw a movie. We hung out with a friend that we knew down there. We went to a Cane's Chicken. Anyone had Cane's Chicken in here? Oh, it's the best. Cane's Chicken is awesome. But that's about it. Cane's Chicken was like the height of our four-day experience in Monroe, Louisiana, freshman year, spring break. There wasn't a lot going on. And I remember driving home, driving home from the spring break and talking with my buddies. And we're like, oh, that was so much fun. That was so awesome. You know, and we got drunk and whatever. And uh, we just had such a great time. And in the back of my mind thinking like, who are we trying to convince? That was not that much fun. It really wasn't. And how many experiences in our lives have we done this? Whether uh, vacations, everyone's had that vacation. Uh, You get your hopes up. It's supposed to be super fun and exciting. And you're driving home. You spent all this money on it. And you've just got to convince yourself that it was fun and deep down, you know, it really was not that much fun. Uh, I did the same with my a job that I had just immediately prior to this. I was in, uh, in sales for like a short six months. And I remember telling myself when I was in the job, you know, I really love what I do. Uh, and I, had, I just had to convince myself that I loved what I, what I did. Uh, but in hindsight, no, I didn't. I'm really glad I'm not doing that, that crap anymore, you know. So uh, we have a, a tendency to want to to convince ourselves that things are okay and, and not to let ourselves be disappointed. Um, and I think this, uh, this, this relates to our faith in a certain, in a certain way. Um, the question I want you to kind of sit with this morning is, is your life as a Christian as fulfilling as you've hoped for? Is your life as a Christian as fulfilling as you had hoped for? I think for most of us in this room, including myself, the answer to that question is no. It's not. And I think that most of the people in this room, including myself, uh, most days convince ourselves that, yeah, it is. And we talk it up. And man, I'm a preacher. It's like I got it whether I'm doing good or not. I got to stand up here and I've got to proclaim the gospel and act like everything's okay, right? Don't I? And God is great, and Jesus is awesome, and, uh, and you guys have got to share your faith and talk about how awesome it is, even if you're not experiencing it inside. And there's kind of, there's what, what's called cognitive dissonance there. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. 
So we've got to come to terms with this. I'm saying it's okay. For the sake of today's, uh, for this next 20 to 30 minutes, I'm saying it's okay for you and I to admit no, that my faith has not been as fulfilling as I'd hoped it to be. I've not experienced Jesus in the way that I've been told in scripture and by preachers and whoever that, I, that I'm supposed to, right? And so I'm led to this, there's this uh, passage that just captivated me when I was in high school. It's Proverbs 4.18, and it says this, The way of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter until the full light of day. The way of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter until the full light of day. And the reason that captivated me so much in high school is because when I was sitting there thinking, is this it? Is this what it means to be a Christian? It's not all that it was chalked up to be. I read this verse and it says, the way, the path that you are on, the way of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn. Just a glimmer of hope that shines ever brighter, brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter until the full light of day. And that's what we call salvation. There's hope. And so at the heart of this message this morning is I want you to know that no, this isn't it. What you've experienced and what you haven't experienced, whatever, there's more. There's so much more to be had, all right? And there's many ways that we can talk about the way of the righteous, but we have a diagram this morning that you guys are gonna get really familiar with if we could put it up on the board. And so it's both TVs here. It's on the screen here. I might be talking with my back to you some of the day, but we're gonna stick with this, okay? And this diagram is from a book called The Critical Journey, Stages in the Life of Faith. It's written by Janet Hagberg and Robert Gulich. And, uh, and then there's two people that have kind of interpreted this, this chart as well. Um, Kathy Escobar, some lady online, and Bob Cassidy, okay? So I want you to know that a lot of the things I'm going to talk about are not my own, all right? I didn't write most of this sermon. I'm saying this so that I don't get in trouble for plagiarizing, okay? Um, but it's true, okay? This diagram is, is one expression of what it's going to be like um, in the life of any Christian on the, in that way of righteousness or that, that road to salvation, okay? And so we're going to go through each of these stages. It's important to know that these stages are not milestones. It's not like something that you reach and then you never go back again, all right? It's not, they're not checkpoints to be crossed, but they're uh, generally experiential stages that, that Christians go through in their walk of faith, there's also nothing wrong with being in any one of these stages. That's really important, okay? Uh, there's going to be everyone in all walks here today um, on this path. Maybe not stage six. But all these other stages, wherever you are, even if you're in stage one, there's no shame whatsoever, okay? There's no condemnation. There's no judgment. You are where you are, and all that matters is that you don't stay there too long. That's all that matters. But each stage has some defining characteristics that we're going to talk about. And what's, what we're going to try to do is help you identify this morning, where are you? All right. And you may be like, like 10% in stage two and 40% in stage three and like 50 in stage four. That's possible, you know, but just a general idea of what are you experiencing? Where am I at in my faith? And what do I have to look forward to? Okay. That's, that's the hope here is what we have to look forward to. There's always more to be experienced and we can't stop. We can't get caged in. So the first stage, recognition of God. This is the beginning of the journey as a Christian. This is I recognize not only that God exists, but I'm in awe of him. I realize my lack and my great 
deep need for God in my life. Most of us in the room have hit this. We've acknowledged our need for God. It's a fantastic place to be, but it's an awful place to get caged in. And that's the language we're going to use, too, for each of these stages. We can get caged into this stage because what tends to happen is God is so great, I'm so awful, I forget what the gospel is, and I start beating myself up all the time. I'm guilty, I'm awful, it's a self-deprecating type of behavior. I'm feeling unworthy, I'm condemning myself, I'm not good enough. So we can get stuck in the stage, and God starts to become kind of a magician in the sky. Just this, this distant God, almost a deistic type of God. He's not personal. And if we get caged in, in the recognition of God phase, we can fall away from the faith all too easily. We can also get caged in if we're embarrassed by our lack of knowledge. This is a lot of people who've been Christians for a long time. They're embarrassed by their lack of knowledge, and so they don't seek to uh, join classes or be in community or whatever because they're, they don't want to be exposed for not knowing much about their faith, doing a Bible study, etc. And again, there's no condemnation for this phase, but we've, we've got to press forward. And so how do we move forward in this phase? Uh, first and foremost, first and foremost, the gospel, the beginning of the gospel anyway. Justification by grace through faith. My sins are justified by the grace of God through the faith that he's given me. Ephesians chapter two says that we are saved by grace through faith and this is a gift. It is not your own doing. So that, Why? so that no one may boast. So get this through your heads this morning, all right? Even your own faith, your belief in God, your trust in God is a gift from God. It's not something that you can just conjure up. So we can't look at someone and say, ah, just have more faith. No, that's a gift from God. We can help them get there. But the point is that we've got to understand that when God has done that work inside of us, when God has given us uh, the faith to move forward. We are no longer condemned. We are no longer condemned. We no longer need uh, to to swim in this pool of I'm awful and I suck and I don't know enough or whatever. We can move forward, all right? Jesus has died for our sins. We can also begin learning and experiencing God, and this is important. Oftentimes, uh, like I said, people are embarrassed uh, to begin learning in community because they don't know much. I'm gonna say this lovingly the root of that issue is often pride. It's pride kind of disguised as a healthy fear uh, or even an unhealthy fear, but it's, it's pride. We've got to be humble enough um, and understand that most Christian community isn't going to think any less of you anyway if you take a step forward to learn. In fact, they'll think more of you. And so at Schweitzer, there are classes um, currently going on like getting started in the Bible, um, like Alpha happens twice a year. Um, there's one more that I'm not, oh, the Paul class that's getting ready to be finished. And coming up uh, during Lent season, we have two. Uh, there's the upper room that's going to get started, which is a Lent series, and then one going over the book of Revelation. All right, and Schweitzer's got all kinds of things going on at all the time, but if you aren't a part of this, then you're not, you're not learning. You're not breaking free from the stage one that's simply the recognition of God. And now this, this chart, it's a circle right here. I would almost rather look at it as a funnel because I think the majority of Christians remain in stage one in our culture at least. And then stage two, there's still a bunch. Stage three, there's considerably less. Stage four, there's barely any. And then stage five and six is like, you hardly meet anyone that just live in those stages. So 
I really want to encourage you to get out of stage one if you've been there for too long. Become part of this community. Become part of a life group. Join a class. Join a group. Do what you need to do. Okay, stage two. Let's move on. Stage two, um, you start learning. The life of discipleship is characterized by learning and absorbing. I'm learning, I'm growing, I'm absorbing all all this information, and it's fun. It's awesome. Uh, A lot of us have been in this stage. We start to develop our own belief system, right? We start to get a sense of who am I as a Christian. We have a sense of belonging within the community of faith, others who agree with the types of things that we believe or we agree with what they believe. We sometimes develop dependence on a leader, not in a bad way, all right? Leaders lead us, that's good. Or a certain cause or a certain belief system. We also have a sense of rightness and security in our faith. The things that we believe are, are right, and I feel good about that. And, and that's okay for this stage, that's okay. But the problem, if you stay there too long, is that you end up putting God in a box. That's necessary for a while, is for me to understand God in the way that I can understand him for this time. But you, could, you put God in a box, and you end up getting caged in in stage two because you become rigid in your belief systems. You say, I'm right, and you're wrong. And what we need to start to understand, if you're in, if you're in stage two especially, is that your worldview, uh, your, your upbringing, your skin color, your privilege, your economic status, your, your, all of these things, the people you're around, um, undeniably, absolutely affect your worldview, and you don't see things the same as other people. You can't. You can't, and you can't see God and experience God in the same way that the person sitting next to you does. It's not possible. So every one of us in this room is missing a part of it, and that's just a fact. Every one of us in this room is missing slivers of information. And what happens, what's got to happen eventually is God's got to shatter the walls of that box you were in. We got to start to realize he's so much bigger than we could ever imagine. We can't put limits on, on God. What also happens in this stage is often we remain dependent on others to feed us. So there's, um, there's this pastor named Robin Miller at Good Shepherd UMC. And apparently a long time ago, she did this sermon. I've just, people talk about this all the time, where she dressed up as a baby, full-grown woman, dressed up as a baby, sat in a high chair, and she said, feed me, feed me, feed me, throughout this sermon. And she was making... Uh, a comparison to her congregation of people who always just say, feed me, feed me, feed me, to their church leaders, feed me. And a uh, little harsh, but it's like, man, it's, it's, it's true. Um, there are so many people that get caged in into this life of discipleship and learning. I want to learn. You've got to teach me. It becomes really, really unhealthy. And that's not the point of the leadership of the church anyway. I want to read you a passage from Ephesians 4. Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus. He said that God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. I'll read that again. God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. He gave them, meaning the leaders of the church, to the church in order to equip the saints, you all, for the work of the ministry. And that's so important for us to understand because oftentimes people jump from church to church. Um, they're, 
remain dissatisfied in their life of discipleship because they want the church leadership to feed their every need. Feed me, feed me, feed me. And the reality is that your church leaders are not here to feed you. They're, they're here to teach you and equip you on how, how to feed yourselves and how to feed others. Maybe it starts with giving you a spoon. Maybe it starts with giving you food, but then it's got to start with you get, making your own spoon and you know, fending for yourself, getting your own food, and eventually going towards others with that. In Acts chapter 6, you guys might remember the story where um, they're still in Jerusalem and uh, the, the widows in the church aren't getting like their, their fair food portion, right? And so they kind of complain about it. And the apostles, the 12 apostles at this time, they said this, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. That sounds harsh, right? Like at, at times, honestly, I feel guilty that like as a preacher, a church and a leader, I wanna be kind of in the trenches and in the weeds and doing uh, some of the work of the ministry. But in order to develop the church like it needs to be developed, I can't. I've got to learn to take a step back and equip others to do that work of the ministry, to serve the tables in this sense. So it's vitally important for us to understand. How do we move out of this stage? Well, we take responsibility for our own spiritual growth. We develop spiritual disciplines. We start to accept our role within the church, forgiving monetarily, forgiving our time, um, and forgiving our talents. That's utterly important. And so discipleship, in one sense, uh, it never stops, okay? We never stop learning. It's not like we move out of this stage of the life of discipleship. We're just like, I figured it all out. That's not how it works. But in another sense, it does end. We've, we stop being only hearers of the word and we start being doers of the word as well. We move out of stage three and we move into the productive life. The productive life is the doing stage, okay? This is, it's thrilling to be used by God. feels like you've found your place within the church. Uh, you're like your unique calling. I'm here, I'm serving in this capacity. This is what I was made to do, right? And you have greater responsibility in certain areas of your life. You're serving, you're doing, you're accomplishing. This is, I mean, this is an absolutely fantastic phase to be in. Again, these are good places to be. There's nothing wrong with any of these stages. The productive life, but... What many of you know, what I know too personally, is that this can wear you thin. If you let it, you can work and work and work until it's no longer a privilege, it's no longer an opportunity, it's an obligation and a responsibility and a burden that you can't bear. You start no longer to enjoy working for the kingdom of God. You become burnout, is what we call it as, as church leaders. And sometimes this is, this is the fault of the leaders uh, for asking too much. I understand that. But we also can't read minds. The easiest thing that you can do, and the most important thing you have to learn in this stage, the productive life, the most important word that you have to learn is what? You said it, Brenda. That's right. No. It's that easy. And I'm telling you, I was, I was in the productive life for a long time, and there was a couple years ago, there was this time where it's like I was, I was working full time in, in my old job in logistics, and I was discipling a group of like eight, a group of four, um, two guys uh, on their own. I was in a, in a band with some guys one morning, in a life group with another person here. I was preaching monthly. I was, it was just so much. I started to resent uh, the leaders of my church for asking me to do all these things. And I, I said, wait, 
don't have to do this. And they're not even asking me to do all these things. I'm just, I'm just saying no. So I started saying no, and it's freeing. Hey, Jake, would you do this? You want to do it? No, no, I don't. And you know what? I, I never heard any flack. No one ever like shamed me for it. They understood. So here for me as a church leader, and I think this needs to be said in the whole church, um, probably more often is that um, when church leaders ask you to serve, um, we think of it as an opportunity and we want to be able to ask in such a way where it doesn't offend, but where y'all can just say no simply. And that's, that's, a healthy, that's a healthy place to be there. Also what can happen here, we get caged, is if we become performance-based, all right? Uh, we start seeing all these things that we're doing and accomplishing things and we, we get a little bit prideful. I'm really good at what I do. I'm evaluating my performance, but then when you fail, you also feel like, you're not worthy of anything, right? Your salvation begins to hinge on what you accomplish and, and what you don't, your successes and your failures. And I want, to, I want to remind you here, if you're struggling with this, what Jesus says to his disciples in Luke 10, 20. He sends out the 72 to do the work to um, cast out demons and heal and all that. They come back and they say, we cast out demons in your name. We've done all this fantastic work, whatever. And they're, they're saying it's been... It's been amazing. They have the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know what Jesus says? He says, don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. Don't rejoice that you're, you're accomplishing things, that you're doing ministry, that you're succeeding in ministry. Don't rejoice in the power and the success that you have. Rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. Totally remove yourself from this performance-based mindset. So we move forward as we begin to understand that our identity in Christ is much, much deeper than what we accomplish for Christ, than the work that we do for him. We realize that our happiness and fulfillment in life lies only, only in our relationship with Jesus. Our happiness and fulfillment in life lies only in our relationship with Jesus. We learn to say no. And when we say yes, to do so without resentment. That easy. Ultimately, what we have to do is discover the God who lives within. Okay? Um, Jesus says at one point that uh, to his disciples, he says, I no longer call you my disciples. I call you my friends. There's this point where he's like, look, you, you know everything that I want you to know. Um, you're doing good work. You're no longer my disciples, but you're my friends. And our relationship with Jesus is like that. Some people say you never stop being a disciple. Um, part of me thinks that you do. You become, you're, you're a disciple, and then you're a friend, and then you're a lover, like in a marriage. You know, I mean, It's just like, it's this ever-growing and increasing relationship with Jesus. And we gotta move out of this stage, of the productive life of just working for Jesus and begin to fall in love with him. Begin to discover the God that's inside of us, the Holy Spirit. If we do so, with the help of, of spiritual guides and mentors, we move on to the journey inward. In this, this stage, um, I'm, I'm kind of in this stage in a lot of ways, I feel like, maybe not completely, but it kind of sucks. Um, so there's a loss of certainties. God starts to break out of his box. Um, the things I thought I knew aren't... Uh, aren't right or they could be wrong or whatever. Uh, sometimes it looks and feels like we're losing faith. Everything I thought I believed and knew, it's just, it's all kind of crashing down, you know? Um, 
there's a shift from doing to just being, just sitting still. We learn to just sit and be with God. There's no, we don't have to produce anything to make him happy. We just have, we just have to be with him. And it's out of that being that we can start, we can start to do. Um, so we rediscover the God within. We can get caged in this stage, though. We can absolutely get caged in stage four by always questioning. And I'm really bad at this. I'm super analytical. Like I was a data uh, analyst or whatever in logistics, and so I just analyze everything to death, and I'm super logical. Um, so I intellectualize and whatever. You do too much of that, and you become overly self-critical. Because inward, it's the journey inward. So it's more focused on me. A lot of times people stop serving completely. It's just, I really need to find myself again as a Christian. Who am I? Re-identify myself in Christ. And if you get too inwardly focused, you become too self-critical, right? And you have to let go of that self-centeredness and remind yourself what this, this journey is about in the first place. You can be immobilized, completely drop out of any active pursuit of God. Some people who get caged in here, um, they lose their faith altogether. Or you may have been convinced that you've lost your faith altogether, and I'm here to tell you that you haven't. Okay, you have not. But you move forward by being willing to commit whatever it takes. Dependence on the power of God within. That's, what, that's really what this stage is about, is learning to teach you to be dependent on the God within. That's what discovering him is all about, that all the work that you do moving forward from this stage is based on the strength and the person of God that lives inside of you. It's not by your own efforts. We gotta realign ourselves with with God's purpose in our lives and seek wholeness through personal healing. So another thing about this stage here, stage four, is you're gonna discover some things about yourself. You may realize you're not the person you thought you were. You may realize there's some, uh, some pain, some things you haven't quite healed from, and you gotta seek healing if you ever wanna get out of that cage in stage four. So you move out of four, and you hit what's called the wall. You see there between four and five is the wall. And you can hit this many times in your life. The wall is the confrontation of your false self and your true self. This false self is this like construct of the person that you've made your entire life. Um, all, it's a product of your, your personality and your accomplishments and uh, these things that you've, uh, this identity that you've constructed that's based in all these things and the way that other people view you. Um, and it's been a means of self-protection your entire life. And you realize that the only thing keeping you from God is yourself. That's what you realize when you hit the wall. <laughs> The only thing keeping you from God anymore is yourself. And you gotta deal with it. That's extremely hard to get through. And so you need help. When you hit the wall, um, it can take years and years. Some people may never get past it. You, you need help. You need community. You need spiritual guides and mentors, people who are there to encourage you, um, to admonish you, to help you get through the wall. And if you do persevere, which you can persevere, We not only penetrate the wall, but we begin to live life outwardly, the journey outward in ways we've never experienced before. This journey outward, there's no striving. It's just evolving. Obedience is less painful. In fact, it's enjoyable. You just enjoy obeying God because it keeps you close to him. You're outwardly focused. Others are more important than yourself. You're not self-centered. There's a deep calmness and a stillness in your heart at all times. And there's also an intense vigor and excitement for life. We have no aspirations other than what God is doing. Our life is infused with prayer and action, both. We experience intimacy with God throughout the day. And Jesus is enough. 
That's it. Stage five, there is no cage. That's, that's an amazing thing about stage five. There is no cage. When others look at you, they might feel like you're kind of out there. Um, you've lost a sense of, of diligence, out of touch with practical concerns, careless about important things. That's what other people might see within you. But, but you, you see life differently. In stage five, naturally, just naturally, you evolve into a saint. And that's stage six, the life of love. This is sanctity. This, this is holiness. This is Christ uh, is now my life. My identity is completely in Christ. It's Christ who lives in me. No longer I who live. You're compassionate for others. Just love. You're detached from all things. You're detached from stress. You ever seen this on someone's face before? You ever had a conversation with met, met anyone who just wore this on their face like Moses did? And they said Moses walked down from the mountain and his face was, was glowing. He had to keep a veil over his face because he, he had just exited the presence of God. They say John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist faith tradition, you could see it on his face. Just the, radiating the image of Christ and life and love for all people. That's, that's sanctity. That's what we have ahead of us, total detachment. This is the full light of day that that scripture talks about. And this is what we can look forward to and what we can strive for. So what stage are you in today? And have you been there too long? Are you caged in? I was online recently and I was researching, okay, so dogs, have you guys heard that dogs are den animals before? You heard this before, like den animals? Like um, they say, regarding like putting dogs in a cage, right? Um, there are people who say, well, they're den animals. They like to live in a den. And so a cage is a natural environment for a dog and they actually learn to enjoy it and whatever. Well, apparently, this is what I've thought my whole life. I Googled it and there's this big debate online about whether or not dogs are den animals. Some people say they're absolutely not. Some say they are. Um, what we do know is that any of you that have had a dog, your dog can learn to enjoy their cage and like being in it, okay? Um, let me tell you this. Humans are not den animals. There's no debate there. And yet, we can still learn to like our cage. And so the last note here about if you're in one of these cages is I want you to, to seriously ask yourself, um, have, you, have you grown complacent? Because this, this journey almost assumes that you're wanting to move forward, and I don't want to assume that. I'm going to assume that it might, might even be an even split in this room of, of complacency and not. You know, I'm not saying you guys aren't, but um, I really want you to challenge yourself. And the only, one of the only ways to break out of that complacency is, is to meditate and, and focus on, on what's ahead, is to remind yourself of all the things you're missing out on. It's to encounter God again. It's to step into his presence and once again be able to say, God, I truly want you. I don't just want to want you. I, I want you. So we've got uh, Schweitzer has a spiritual life retreat coming up on March 31st through April 2nd. And what we're going to do, you guys, we have prayer retreats like two or three times a year, right? This is not a prayer retreat. It's going to be completely different. 
And what it's going to focus on is helping y'all to identify uh, where you're at in that, that journey and not just identify it, but, but to move forward. And so there's going to be different classes and discussions, experiences, et cetera, practicum um, about how to take that next step of faith. All right. This is for people who are really serious about, about getting out of a cager and moving on to the next stage. I'm ready for the more that's out there for me. There's no shame if you're not ready for this uh, retreat yet. Um, spots are going to fill up really, really, really quick. And so I encourage you, man, if, you're, if you want to move forward, sign up for this. Um, yeah, that's all I've got. Let's pray. Lord, um, what an amazing journey it is that you have for us. What hope there is um, in calling on your name. Remind us today that um, it's not by our own efforts um, that we make it through this journey, but it's by your grace, by your empowerment, and by your call to love. Um, thank you. We want you, God. So come with, with power and force and might. In Jesus' name, amen.